Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? I'm your host, Brett Kane. I'm a licensed massage therapist and mindfulness meditation instructor. And to answer that question, this week we're going to explore bhakti yoga, the path of devotion and service. Uh, For those of you who are new to me and new to my platform, you should probably know up front that I am a huge fan of Ram Dass. Uh, If you don't know who that is, he was formerly known as Richard Elpert. He was a Harvard psychology professor who was largely responsible for bringing LSD to the mainstream back in the 60s. He was a part of the big boom with Timothy Leary, um, though Timothy Leary kind of took a different approach and really doubled down on acid as a thing itself, as the means. Uh, Richard Alpert went over to India. He realized that the states that he was trying to cultivate were really temperamental. He kept getting really high, coming back down. There was always that coming back down. So he was really interested in how to cultivate some of these aspects of the psychedelic experience and make it a more congealed part of his existence, something that was kind of always present rather than always in the presence of a substance. So when he went to India, you know, he was exploring a lot of different yogis and gurus, and he stumbled across an auspicious little man in a red blanket, and his name was Neem Karoli Baba, and this was Ramdas's guru. And as soon as they met, um, like magic, uh, you know, he began his life as a spiritual teacher. He found kind of what he was looking for, at least the path to cultivate that sense of sustained equanimity. So he ended up coming back to the West with his new name. He was once Richard Alpert, and he became Ramdas through working with Neem Kroli Baba. And Ramdas, that means literally servant of Ram. Ram is uh, the word for God in the Hindu tradition. So once he got back to the West, he started holding workshops and having speaking engagements for other young spiritual aspirants in the West. And what he was bringing with him was a rich lineage of love and devotion, uh, or bhakti yoga. And really what made him so special and applicable to everybody was the way he was able to communicate these often esoteric practices and viewpoints into really lighthearted and oftentimes humorous ways. He spent the next 50 years of his life really teaching these beautiful hardscapes and genuinely living them out and becoming a living, breathing conduit of transmission for the people who actually came into contact with him. Uh, he he really, we, we can't understate his, the importance of his work on Western spirituality. He He's the one who coined the term be here now. He really was not only someone who was a scholar of these things, but an actual living, breathing channel of them. And I I don't want to understate the importance of his work on my own spiritual life. Uh, Really, I would not be where I'm at without his teachings. I've spent a decade scouring his writings and listening to his workshops and really absorbing to my heart a lot of the stuff that he talked about. And I feel like it really is the rich foundation that I've built the rest of my spiritual life on. Um, So in order to really expand on what it is that he was talking about with the bhakti yoga thing, I wanted to invite my friends Ganesh Das and Mangala Bray Miller, who are the content curator and project manager of the Love Server Member Foundation, which is the organization dedicated towards preserving and sharing these beautiful rich teachings from Ram Das's very long history of teaching. 
Uh, they're doing some really cool work over there and ways of packaging these things to reach a new generation of spiritual aspirants. And really, it, they're doing some wonderful work over there. And outside of their work with the Love Server Member Foundation, they also manage a really wonderful blog called The Sloppy Bhakti, which explores uh, bhakti yoga in the framework of the Western music festival scene. You know, there's we've talked about it a few times on the show now, and really they are living with integrity in those spaces in a way that I think is really important to shine the light on. So in, in this conversation, we talk a lot about uh, their relationship to bhakti, their kind of spiritual histories, and how they were able to use it as kindling to start the fire for their current spiritual uh, trajectory and we do spend some time talking about my favorite figure in Hinduism. His name is Hanuman. He's the monkey god of bhakti and strength and just an absolute wonderful figure. So it was really cool to finally uh, come out of the closet on my appreciation for that uh, that symbol and that being. Um, so yeah, uh, a word up front, I do have to say the last 10 minutes of this episode do get a little choppy in terms of quality. Something was going on with my remote recording service. I don't really know what it was, but I couldn't edit it out. So I'm a little sad by it, but it really isn't that bad. I'm just kind of a perfectionist and I do, uh, implore you to really sit with that, that last 10 minutes, um, because it, it's the part about Hanuman and I think it has, a lot of really juicy implications, and I think it is a pretty important conversation and framework for what a lot of this is about. Uh, so I would just encourage you to use that time as maybe like a point of meditation and like really focus and concentrate on the words rather than just the quality. I'm going to try my best going forward to make sure that doesn't happen again, but you know, when it does, we just got to kind of roll with the punches and uh, see what comes out of it. So as always, thank you so much for listening to the show. If you want to support us, head on over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. You can subscribe over at YouTube to stay up to date on all the, the freshest content. You can like us on Facebook, on Instagram. We are on just about every major streaming platform at this point. So whatever rating systems you're plugged into, it really does help the show. It helps me get more stellar guests such as Mangala and Ganesh Das. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of momentum going forward. I'm really, really thankful that the show is where it's at. And I have a lot of things up my sleeve for y'all this year. Um, we're looking at uh, quite a few systems I'm going to be putting in place that I think are going to be really fruitful in helping deliver this content in a way that you can feel not only in your hearts and your minds, but also your bodies. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, we're really, really just getting started. We're not even done with chapter one. So um, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, this is a do-it-yourself kind of project. You know, I do have a day job. So a lot of these changes are going to be incremental, but I'm sure if you've been listening from the start, you could probably already see, you know, like some of the, the corners are sharpened and everything's starting to get a little bit more cohesive. So only up from here. So without further ado, Please drink some tea, do some stretches, and open your heart for Ganesh Das and Mangala Bray Miller. Hello, friends, Mangala and James. How are we doing today? Doing good. How are you doing, Brett? I'm doing well. I, I wanted to start off by pointing out how strange it is that 
uh, Mangala, you just got done interviewing Earthcry, and that is Anthony, who was my last guest, and now I'm interviewing you, and it just kind of feels like um, the the Soul family, if you will, is starting to like get closer and closer. Like I don't know, it's just a really auspicious thing, right? <laughs> I would have to agree. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I haven't seen you guys in a while. It's been a couple years. Um, it was back when I visited Asheville, and yeah, a lot has changed. Um, you know, y'all's platform has definitely seemed to have leveled up. You're involved with communities that I knew you've always wanted to be involved with. So these past two years, how what's been going on with all all y'all? Um, Ooh, that's a big question. Yeah. I yeah. I feel like before diving into that, I want to lay out the really cool synchronicity that actually brought the three of us together in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were in Asheville doing our thing. We lived there for a while. And we began chanting and hanging out with the Ram Dass people there, really diving into bhakti yoga, which I I want to dive into kind of the basics of that at some point in this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But we were chanting, doing kirtan um, in a practice that evening. And... Our friend Jake, at the end of the evening, is like, hey, do you want to do, do some mushrooms and go to see a funk jam in Asheville? I'm like, that is exactly what I want to do. Um, <laughs> so he heads out before us, and he, I get this text from him. He's like, there's somebody at this funk jam you need to meet. You need to get here this instant. So we roll up, and our friend Jake, who had just been at the satsang and had gotten a little card of Ram Dass's guru, Neem Karoli Baba, had this little card out. Um, our mutual friend, who we didn't know yet, Ben, um, Ben Rise, um, he notices the Neem Curly Baba card. And he's like, is that Ram Dass's guru? Is that Neem Curly Baba? And as soon as that happened, you know, uh, Jake texts me. We get, to the, we get to the jam, and I just link so intensely with Ben. We are just like total Dharma flow. Um, our crossover of kind of spirituality and music, everything just clicks. I don't see Ben again, but it was like such a big heart moment for me. So we're at Rootwire now, um, this amazing little festival in Ohio, and Mangala and I are walking down the, the strip, and we see somebody sitting there. And for some reason, even though we're super generally very introverted, we were like, we're going to sit in front of this guy. So we sit in front of him. We look up. It's fucking Ben. It's, it's Ben, and he's just smiling at us. And then you show up to his left side and sit down and we just lock into another conversation, which is just that total Dharma festival flow. And you pull out of your bag, the Tibetan book of living and dying by Sogyal Rinpoche. And it blows my mind because that is the book that I had been reading for like that whole summer leading up and you open up to the page and we're almost at the exact same spot. Yeah, um, so just yeah. I wanted to outline that synchronicity as like kind of bringing us together and sparking this because it was just like wild and just like in the flow. So. <laughs> yeah, that was such a wonderful festival and experience meeting you. I mean, we were we were all sitting on that blanket. And I think Ben was wire wrapping yeah. at the time mm-hmm. and we spent a considerable amount of time just watching people pass and just kind of sharing that like free flow Dharma talk <laughs> that was really wonderful. And yeah, then I haven't I didn't see you guys until... 
I think it was when I was in Asheville, I think there was like a pretty big gap of time, but we've since connected and we're kind of plugged into each other's platforms at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I definitely felt an immediate affinity. I mean, anybody who starts talking about Ram Das or also shares love for the Tibetan uh, Buddhist system, you know, I'm immediately like, hey, what up, fam? <laughs> you know, so it was it was definitely a treat. And I'm, I'm glad that we're actually able to sit down and we're starting to you know, I definitely want to use this time to like really dive into the, the bhakti path because out of all the people that I'm most immediately connected with, when I think of it, you two come to mind because you are so passionately connected to it and to the point where you're, you know, at the Love Server Member Foundation's like headquarters, you know, like you're plugged in, you know, so it's, it's really inspiring. Mm. So... Yeah, how did you? How did y'all get this opportunity to kind of move across the country and um, be so intimately connected with the thing that's inspired you so deeply? It's really just been like a sequence of divine leelas. Just like how would you how would you describe leela for people who aren't aware of um, that concept? I mean, leela is generally translated as divine play. Um, in Hinduism, they say that this universe is just the kind of play of a bored universe, you know, that we are um, this kind of flowing dance coming from the oneness and that none of this should be taken all too seriously because it is just this kind of play. Um, that is this giant Leela, which is this kind of what's going on universally. Now, there are very small leelas that happen in our lives on a daily basis that are these little, almost like vignettes, these tiny little stories that happen and that as they flow out and they become these little succinct lessons, um, they become these, I don't know how you'd exactly describe it, but these little... It's like cosmic, I like to call them cosmic winks. Yeah, they're like little tidbits of information that you pick up on, that you... It's like, for me, it's like this... Like something, like a little synchronicity or something, you know, like, wow, that's what a coincidence that that happened. And I consider those like the little leelas or cosmic winks. And for me, those are like evidence that like, oh, I'm on the right path. Whatever mm-hmm. I'm doing, like, as long as I'm making more of those happen, that's I'm on the right path. Um, so I feel like it's really just like how we got here and how we got tied up into the bhakti path and into the Ram Dass satsang. And it's all just been these like divine leelas because like I didn't ask for this. I didn't like... It, it all kind of, it, it kind of just, I want to say manifested for lack of a better word. Yeah. I mean, if we really want to get into like the root of it, I guess we're kind of skirting around it because it's so honestly like weird and like a, a difficult thing to talk about. But I mean, deep down in my being from a young age, I've always kind of had this yearning to um, get to the core of what the hell we're doing on this space rock. I just remember looking up at the stars and being like, what is the game here? What's going on? Why am I here? Um, And through finding psychedelics, I realized that there was maybe not answers, but there was an expansion to consciousness and awareness that allows you to go beyond what you generally think of as reality. And through experimenting with those, through finding podcasts like Duncan Trussell, um, through finding um, various books like Carlos Castaneda um, and all of these different little, like she said, winks kind of led us to where we are now. Um, 
yeah, we ended up, uh, we were living in Pittsburgh. I was working at a zipline park. I ended up uh, feeling this immense desire to be near mountains. Um, so we wanted to move to Colorado really badly. And we were like, we're going to do this. We told all of our friends, we're going to Colorado. And then everything fell through and nothing happened. We didn't go anywhere. And that was like, oh, no. Um, and then this opportunity arose. A friend um, helped me like just like through some Craigslist dots, um, find this other opportunity to manage another zipline park in North Carolina. And I got the job. So within five days, we left everything we knew in Pittsburgh and ran down to North Carolina to Asheville um, to start that job. And and in this time, um, I was very much not into spirituality or anything like that. Um, but you very much were. Yeah. Um, you know, as a child, I had been very um, very Christian, um, like hook, line, and sinker. And then in college, I became an extremely angry atheist. The psychedelics that I was talking about kind of opened me up to that there was more. Um, there was a deeper gravity to reality. Then through finding Duncan Trussell, that leading me to Ram Das and listening to his podcast here and now, and just having somebody that was able to describe the mystery that I have been talking about and at least elucidate the things that um, rung true to me. And that just sent me on this path of just ravenously taking in all of this Ram Dass material. And that changed me. I started meditating. I started chanting. I started um, getting a little more control of my anger and my aggressions. Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> um, and she noticed that change in me, um, but still she was very much, you know, in that kind of, I'd say, angry atheist stage as well. Uh, righteous atheist. Righteous atheist. Oh, yeah, I was very righteous. Worse than angry <laughs> atheist. <laughs> um, so when she found out she had to, that we were moving to Asheville and we're like, I guess we're taking this plunge, we knew through the music festival scene that Asheville was really cool. We knew Papadocio was there. We knew Earthcry was there. We knew we'd be able to get our, our boogie on, which is such a huge part of our lives. But I didn't know anything about it outside of that. So having listened to those Ram Dass podcasts, I reached out to the guy who was hosting them. Because I remember him, every Ram Dass podcast, he's like, hey, it's Raghu Marcus from coming from Asheville, North Carolina with the Ram Dass Here and Now podcast. So I just heard his voice ringing Asheville, North Carolina in my ear. So I reached out to him. And lo and behold, you know, he was just like, hey, if you get here, come hang out. Come hang out. He just pretty much welcomed us, you know. Wow. Yeah, so uh, he hung out with Raghu, connected a few times. Um, over the course of time, I started falling into the path. Um, and we were going to satsangs together in Asheville, chanting together, kirtan with, with community, having potlucks and like, really getting to meet the like the Ram Dass satsang in that area and connect with that spiritual family in a way that was just so beautiful. Um, and through that, through those connections, um, an opportunity arose for, um, for me to start doing some work for the Love Server Member Foundation uh, because I was, I was dealing with some, uh, I wasn't happy where I was at the Zipline Park. Uh, we were under new ownership at the park and I just, it was a, we were different types of people, you know, it wasn't meant to work out. Um, and just as that was falling apart, an opportunity happened to present itself. Um, and so I agreed to take on position as project manager for the Love Server Member Foundation. And then 
not long after uh, we moved, we were invited to move out here to help establish a headquarters for the foundation here in Ojai, California, uh, which has been this incredible blessing to be able to come out here and experience this. We've never been to the West Coast before, so it's really been uh, eye-opening. It was our first time driving across the country, and it was during the coronavirus pandemic, which brought brought about its own, you know, unique perspectives because you're not interacting in the same ways you know you're not like I'm used to traveling and you go you go out to restaurants and you go hang out with people and you go get to know what the community's like and here we are traveling to these new places like oh my god where are all the people we need to avoid them <laughs> <laughs> whoa it, it's really interesting that both of you had that phase in your spiritual development where you went from one ideology to uh, like righteous atheist. You know, I think that that's kind of like a very common response to kind of like buying into somebody else's doctrine and then like realizing like, oh, you like push this onto me. I'm going to vehemently push back, you know, and I think that like that honestly kind of creates some of the fire or the fuel that could actually really help create a solid foundation for engaging with a practice that more aligns with your own uh, temperament, so to speak. Because I actually, I had the same thing, you know, and I was, I don't know how outward you both were about, you know, I was like constantly going after and poking and prodding people and like challenging people's spiritual beliefs and everything was dumb and it was like nihilistic and, um, pretty uh, elementary, if you will. But I look back at that time and I think that it was rooted in kind of like a good nature. Like I'm ready to take on the science of understanding. Like I want to actually feel something and be convinced, you know, Mm -hmm. which I think is like a pretty healthy part of developing a strong sense of spirituality is like we, we shouldn't be buying something without having some sort of experience with it, you know, and that's what the modern mainstream culture kind of instills in us is just like don't ask questions just follow the lead of the person who's up front Mm -hmm. and that kind of leads me to like this exploration or wanted to explore like what bhakti is because it's a very involved and it kind of requires your participation in a way that some other more western beliefs don't really need so what about the bhakti path well first of all what even is bhakti and what about it alleviated your uh, I guess spiritual angst <laughs> mm. um, the first assumption is that it alleviated spiritual angst um, yeah. <laughs> um, there, there is bhakti and there is spiritual angst um, still yeah. um, the bhakti is kind of a, a landing pad um, you know I don't know how much I can speak to what bhakti is but I can speak to what bhakti does for me um, so, so I had been very angry. My thoughts had been going constantly. I didn't have any escape from them. I always felt like I was drowning. When I went to my first kirtan, which is chanting practice, you have an individual or a band up front playing instruments and they are Indian instruments generally. We have a harmonium, which is a kind of honking style piano, which is very droney and it sounds just really essence And then you'll have some drums and some kartals, little ting, 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 ting. And the music is there. Um, Krishna Das, um, this amazing Kirtanwala, says as a kind of medicine. It allows, or as a kind of like sweet syrup that allows medicine to go down. So the music is keeping everybody's attention. The real core of the practice, though, 
comes down to mantra and attention. So somebody up front, one of the band members, will be singing a mantra. It'll, it'll say, Ram, 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 or Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, 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 Hare Hare. All these different mantras that have generally come from Sanskrit. Um, the names of the mantras are considered names of God. What is God? We don't know. That <laughs> is the essence of them. We don't know. That is what makes these things so special. These are, in essence, things that have no relatable meaning to us. So as somebody's up there singing the mantra, you will then sing the mantra back, and it goes back and forth. When they sing the mantra, you just listen for that mantra. Because it has no intrinsic meaning, you are not thinking. This is an anchor away from any thought that you may be having. So while the thinking's going, the mantra's also going. Thinking has lots of meaning. Mantra has no meaning. You can keep jumping back into that no meaning so you can be in that presence. And what this kirtan is, is this deepening of that back and forth of listening and chanting, listening and chanting within the essence of music. Um, so you get the flowing emotion of the music while you are being mindfully aware of the mantra. That is kirtan, mm -hmm. but you can keep that with you all day. And for me, at the time, before I went to India and got a name and started writing for Ramdas, I was working at Whole Foods. I was stacking fruit, and I hated what I was doing. But I realized that if I kept that mantra from that kirtan going, if I had the Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, going while I was stacking an apple, Instead of thinking about how much I hated stacking that apple or how much I wanted to get home, I was just with the mantra, just stacking the apple, mm -hmm. and those discursive thoughts didn't have so much intense pull on where my mind was going anymore. And that slight spaciousness, which I'm still working on opening, is the essence of what bhakti does for me. Mm. It's really amazing to hear that transformation for you because the last time we talked, you were at the Whole Foods mm -hmm. and that was something that kind of came up is you're like, I really want to get out and I don't really know what direction to go. And I even think you were talking about how you were using the mantra practice as a means to kind of be more present in it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if you, you guys know this. I, um, I'm studying under David Nickturn, who uh, I know, Mangala, you were just listening yesterday. He did a presentation for Love, Serve, Remember Foundation. And um, we're doing like the Tibetan Buddhist kind of path, which um, it, it it sounds like we're kind of re reaching similar spaces, though. Because like that whole thing is like placing your attention on the breath lightly. So, But it's still kind of opening this sense of like spacious containment within myself that then is like coming with me everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting how these different flavors and different practices like almost feels scientifically creating these results within our being that is like it has the result of having more space and more uh, sense of like proper relation to what we're doing. Um, so what about for you, Mangala? How is how is the the bhakti path kind of influenced you, and um, where where would you say you are with it? Um. So for me, it more so because I was this this uh, righteous atheist. Um, I, I didn't really have any interest in doing any practices of any sort, and meditation was very unappealing to me. Um, but I saw that it was doing immense um, benefits for him, for my partner, so I was like, you know, totally supportive. And we were going to music festivals, and 
I was just starting to get introduced to that culture of like acceptance and this like loving environment. I had never been to a space that so many people were just smiling together. You know, I'd, I'd been to like, like the Erie County Fair and, you know, <laughs> most of the people there are pretty miserable. I mean, a lot of people are smiling and laughing, but overall it's this malaise of like, hey, we all get along because we all complain about the same things. Um, at the festivals we were going to, is like we all get along because we're all celebrating the same things because we're all feeling overjoyed at, by just the beauty of life. Um, and in that time, I was very much a, a self-critical person, which I, I can't say that I'm not anymore. Um, but I would watch the, the girls hula hoop while the music was being played, and I, I found it so beautiful and entrancing. Um, and I was really interested in it, but I had this, these self-limiting thoughts telling me, you can't do that. You know, when I was a kid, I was five and my mom said, you can't, um, you can't take gymnastics because you're too old. You'll never, you'll never be in the Olympics. And so that kind of like limiting thought pattern of like, oh, well, I'm too old to even try. I shouldn't even try. Um, it's like, it goes back for me. Um, so I went, it was two years that we went to music festivals that I watched these girls who hoop and thought how beautiful they were and how I could never do it. And then one winter, one January in Pittsburgh in a tiny apartment snowed in, I said, you know what? No one's around. No one's looking at me. There's all these tutorials online. I'll just pick up a hula hoop and learn how to do it myself. And it was through that exploration that I learned what meditation was, funny enough. Mm -hmm. um, I built my first hula hoop. I started, you know, just as a kid, I would, my parents would watch the news every night for two hours, the news would come on and I would stand in the living room with a hula hoop around my waist and see if I could hula hoop for the entire duration of the news broadcast. Um, so as an adult, I just started standing in my living room with a hula hoop around my waist and moving. And then I started, you know, trying to integrate like, Oh, can I dip my hand inside of it? Ooh, what's that like? Um, and through this and through practicing, I was able to unlock this flow space within myself that I, I didn't know existed. Um, where my mind would turn off and it would go silent and I would just become one with the movement of my body and the movement of the hoop. And I felt like very connected to the earth in that way, like the spinning of the earth and whatnot. And so my first taste of meditation was movement meditation through that. And I pursued the hoop path for a while and I, I taught and I got people together with it. And all I wanted to do was share the love that I felt from hula hooping with other people because it made me feel so good about myself and it made me feel self-love. So I wanted other people to feel that. So that was my, that was my connection to the love path, you know, and then through my partner, uh, you know, pursuing bhakti and teaching me about these things, you know, I had also always been into singing growing up, but I had always struggled with finding my own voice, worth in my own voice. Um, and so the practice of kirtan, when he took me, I was like, wow, I can, I can sing and I don't have to be on key. I don't have to sound like, <laughs> like, you know, Christina Aguilera to just allow my voice to be heard. And I'm in this room of other people who don't care if they're singing in or out of key either. We're all just singing for, for the sake of love. And that first time I went to a kirtan um, with everyone in Asheville, my heart completely cracked open. I didn't know what words they were saying. I didn't know what was going on. All I knew is that I was crying. I was singing these words that I had never heard before and crying. And I didn't understand it. Um, and so I just, I wanted to, I wanted to dive into that path a little bit. Um, it reminds me of this story. There was this um, man we met while we were in India. Um, 
who told us when he was when he was a young boy living in India, he um, he was growing up and he was going to go to school and he wanted to be a nuclear physicist. So he went to um, when he got out of I, I don't know what they call the different school grades in India, but when he got out of like the primary levels, he flew to Toronto to go to school at the University of Toronto to study nuclear physics. And within his first week there, he was staying in his dorm room and he said, all of a sudden, this sound came through the wall and he didn't know what it was, but it was the most beautiful sound he had ever heard in his life. And he just started weeping and weeping and weeping. And then it ended. And when the music ended, he walked out of his dorm room and across and he knocked on the, on the door of the room next to him with his eyes still weeping, said, what was that? What was that beautiful sound? And then, and his neighbor opened the door and said, Oh, that was Beethoven. (laughs) And as an Indian man, he never had heard Western classical music before. And so it was just earth shattering for him to experience this kind of sound with full orchestra. He'd never heard anything like it. So he, he did end up finishing his, his schooling for nuclear physics. And he's still, I'm pretty sure he's still a professor at the university of Toronto Um, but he went down a spiritual path because of that. And he said that the rest of his life, he spent searching for what was that thing that made me cry? What was that thing that deep down inside, because there was nothing, I wasn't sad about anything. Nothing was going on, but I was moved so deeply from the inside of my being that I couldn't help feel my heart breaking open in this most beautiful ways that tears just poured down my face. And to me, that's what bhakti is. You know, it's, Mm. it's a practice that we can, used to come back to connect to that limitless well of love inside of all of our hearts. Wow. Mm. Both of those are such beautiful stories. I love that, the idea that like Beethoven is someone's entryway into these spiritual realities. It kind of gets me to think, because for me, uh, a big part of my path was finding Ram Dass and his teachings and this completely different worldview from India and Tibet. And I'm just curious what you what y'all think about the idea of like sometimes we as Westerners might need some other form of culture to help break down our I perceived ideas of what like God is because we have such this indoctrination and this very specific limited framework for what God is where when we come into contact with it from an, a completely different standpoint or perspective, it actually, we're able to connect much deeper with it because it's not our innate understanding. We don't have as many like linguistic things keeping it limited, you know, and uh, that, that's been my experience. And how, how do you feel about that within your own, you know, coming from like Christian backgrounds and then atheist backgrounds? Do you think the fact that it was in this very, I don't want to say like alien, but it was just, totally foreign to our minds, you know, our conceptual frameworks. Do you think that was a part of it? Yeah. So growing up and like, I'm thinking about like my days in elementary school, the classes that I hated the most back then were history because Mm. they would tell me this narrative and I was supposed to recite it back to them exactly the way they told me, but they never gave me the full story. And they wouldn't let me ask questions. And my my teachers would get mad at me every time I questioned things. Like I questioned the structures of our government. I questioned the, you know, the structures of our society and why we, why the rules are the way they are and why our economics work the way they are. And, um, you know, why our country was founded the way that it was. How that doesn't sound like it was very pleasant, but yet the book only says that it was pleasant. Um, 
So it was all this like, no, this is what you believe and that's it. Don't believe anything else. No asking questions. You just wrote memorization. And that, that created that rift for me. Like, I don't like this, you know? And that's kind of how I felt toward organized religion is they're like, this is what's right. You can't believe anything else. I'm like, I don't like that, you know? So it was through like the Ram Dass, what he did with his life was he embraced so many different practices and religions and cultures and he and he was able to through his his own searching he was able to find the thread that connected all of them and mm. it was just love the whole time you know like every <laughs> single religion they're all connected by that same thread so it was like getting away from this narrative of like we have rules and indoctrination and getting into this like God isn't what that book says or just what that book says. God is the thing that's existing within all of these books. You know, it's that, what's that consistent thread? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, beautiful. Um, Brett, and what you said is so, so right on. Um, like, I, I, I really did need something. Alien is the way to put it, um, to be able to bring... Christ back to me in a way that would be palatable. Even saying the word Christ right now feels weird, you know? Yeah. Um, and Ram Das was the thing that was able to do that for me. But I, I needed some like weird flying monkey God that seemed like so far away from Jesus to actually get me to be like, yeah, Jesus is, is cool. Jesus is a badass. Um, yeah. I mean, Ram Das is what brought that home for me. You know, I was that angry atheist, like I said, psychedelics allowed me to kind of prod the mystery, um, get a little deeper. And then when I did have uh, a moment with Ram Das at his house, um, I was so scared. I had no idea what to say. I was like, I, you know, I was so scared I was going to make a fool of myself or say something wrong. And this situation arose where I could just be with him and it was just me and him. And I went up to the kitchen table and I was too awkward to say anything. So I just stared. And he's eating his eggs. And, you know, he can only use one hand. So he's eating his eggs. And he's, um, they're dribbling down his face, just like total, just like egg mess beard. And I'm like too nervous to even talk. He looks up at me with his like eggy, messy face and just gives me that like classic Ram Dass look. And I just start melting. I just feel this like pouring of energy. And all I want to do is give as much of my energy as I could to him to make it so that he could stay alive even just a second longer to give one more person a look like he's giving me right now. It just gave wow. me so much charged energy. And it was just this flow and flow of love beyond any psychedelic I've ever experienced, beyond any sex I've ever experienced, beyond anything. And the thing that came to my mind, for fuck's sake, was Christ. Christ, Christ, wow. Christ. There's Christ. Wow. And it just brought it full circle to me. Uh, it's like, okay, like Christ is all right, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think a big part of our aversion is, I mean, we, we, we've looked at history and we've seen all the ways in which Christ has been used as like a weapon mm. towards marginalized communities and like kind of like keeping people in check. And 
But I, I think at the heart of like the Christ teaching is like this heart mind space that is kind of like our innate birthright. It's like a mode of being that like we're all trying to return to. Like we're all trying to return back to that childhood sense of innocence, which Christ really embodied in an adult form, you know, to the degree we gave his own life. And because we have such like a deep innate yearning for it, and we, we've been like alienated from the one that's within our own culture. I think like having all these different systems that we can kind of interact with, it makes us feel outside of ourselves, you know, which is I think the mark of like any good spiritual practice is it can remove you from your 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 framework, your perceptual framework. And um, I think that that's kind of really what it, it did for me. And um, I'm, I'm Honestly, I didn't know that you had the chance to meet Ramdas. That's a, an incredible story. Even I, I can feel like the feeling that you have when you're describing it. And it was such like a banal thing where it's just like he's got eggs all over his face. And it was still one of the most impactful. And I think that that speaks to like the heart of this. And, um, you know, it was it was interesting. We lost Ramdas's body. I think it was last year, two years ago at yeah, this point. December 22nd, 2019. 19, yeah. That day was such an emotional day for me. I've never met him, you know, but I have so much of my practice to give in his name. And, but it was such a weird feeling because on one hand, I was really sad that like, like you said, like nobody else would be able to like be in that presence. But at the same time, because I've had him be a presence in my life for so long, I felt him closer than I've ever, like he was there with me. And like, I could feel that he enveloped the entire world. Everyone that I knew who knew of him we were all in this experience of like remembrance together. We were all in the state of love and appreciation. And it was just like the, the final merging like took place, you know? Yeah. And I, what, what was your experience like with that day? So when I just, I want to take it, a, a, peel it back a second. Um, Ram Dass's guru, Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji, um, when he left his body, it was devastating for all the Westerners. You know, um, they had they had met and and touched the feet of this of this Christ-like figure. You know, um, they had actually touched touched his feet. They knew him. They they had spoken with him. You know, and now he's gone. What the hell am I gonna do? And it was really it was really difficult for them at that time. And then I I, I read back on these old stories about about that time. And Ramdas, there's this one picture of everyone um, standing together. They got, they got together after Maharaji had passed. They, I think they were back in New Hampshire at the farm and they all took a picture together, the whole satsang. And um, I looked at it recently with an old satsang member and he said, look at this picture. Everyone's faking it. Everyone's faking it except Ramdas. Cause you look at the picture and Ramdas's face is just glowing and everyone else is putting on a smile or you can tell they're really not very happy. Um, and and Ramdas brought about this concept of big Maharaji. He's not in his little form anymore. He's big Maharaji. He's ever he's accessible to everyone everywhere now. And that's kind of what I feel like you were just saying, like with your experience, like big Ramdas now. Like he's accessible everywhere to everyone. He's not just limited by this by this earthly form. Yeah. Um, so that's I feel like that's kind of what we're doing here is we're we're helping maintain the life through the legacy of him by continuing to share these stories and that's a lot of like what I'm what I'm doing right now with the foundation is I'm I'm working on the uh, Soul Land music series this um, mm. this spring we just 
last week, actually, we just launched our um, second season of the Soul Man Music Series, where I gather a bunch of artists from a bunch of different musical genres and practices and bring them together because they all share the similar thread of loving Ram Dass and having a connection to the spiritual path. Um, because for me, music was my entry into the spiritual path. So now we're, we're introducing Ram Dass into the music culture and the music scene to help bring that big Ram Dass so that people who are in these environments, having these experiences, can hear his voice, get his darshan, understand these teachings in that deep heart-centered way because they're already opened in these flow spaces. So we're, we are, by virtue of holding his light within our hearts, maintaining and spreading that candlelight across the world. I love that. Big Ram Dass. <laughs> yeah. It's almost a necessary part of, I think, a teacher's entire, I guess, dharma. You know, like there is like the, the dropping of the body. And that's really when all of the people who've been tuned in are kind of encouraged and um, I don't want to say challenged, but I guess, yeah, challenged to really like step into what we got from this teacher you know and it really is like okay it's up to you now like you are the torchbearers and you know like we're the stewards of the next generation of folks who you know it's through our due diligence and the way that we show up in the world that we're able to like maintain the clarity of these teachings and it is an interesting thing because like we don't have another ramdas immediately like it really there is like a sense of responsibility that I even like I feel having gotten so much and feeling the presence of these teachings so directly in my everyday life to like really pay homage and like honor and like really walk with like responsibility in how I carry myself you know like it really is our job you know to like show up and like to maintain this do you do you both feel sense of that kind of it's not responsibility in like this like uh, dreadful kind of overbearing way. It's like a joyful, it's like the, it's a dance, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's like you're sitting on the, the side of the dance floor and someone comes up and like offers like, Hey, come on, let's join the, the thing. And you know, and it's just like, me? <laughs> like, yeah. you know? I yeah. completely agree with that. The, I forget who said it. Maybe you can expand better, but the, um, the next guru is the Sangha. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it very much feels like that. Um, I'm glad you... It was Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what it does feel like, you know. Like, when he passed, it felt like it all kind of, like, it, it, it's on to us, just like you were saying. And I do feel very protective of that. Um, I noticed the other day, um, you know, you know, we had, like, a thing, you know, with Ram Dass coming out, and it wasn't said, like, the exact right way I knew it could be said. And, you know, I, I write content, you know, I curate content for Love, Serve, Remember, and there's this line of the Hanuman Chalisa, I believe it's line 20 or 21, is Rama Duare Tumarakavare Hotanagya Benupesare, and it means you are the guardian of Ram's door. None can enter without mm -hmm. your leave. And I feel that very deeply in myself for how Ram Das and how Neem Kurli Baba and how Eastern teachings in general um, are being portrayed um, to the West right now and to the, the whole of the world. Um, if we can translate what these great teachers have been saying well, we have the potential to like truly open the hearts of individuals and then through their hearts opening, they have the potential to open more hearts. There was a poster in my friend Matthew's apartment that had the Buddha at the center, and there was a bunch of flames around the Buddha. And it said something like, like a million, like infinite candles can be lit from one candle, from one flame, and that first candle doesn't go out. And that's what this feels like right now, that if we can 
guard the door properly and allow the right translation to come through of the Dharma that will be able to at least play a role in helping the world become a more compassionate, more understanding place. So I am extremely protective in how these things um, are portrayed and I feel very honored to be chosen by the universe to be able to portray them for this small amount of time that I am. And something really important that I think is worth mentioning that Ramdas said um, in relation to that is he always said, um, the best thing I can do for you is work on myself. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do for me is work on yourself. You know, so it's like, it's not this responsibility in that I'm responsible for other people or I'm responsible mm-hmm. for making sure other people get enlightened or aware of some kind of teaching that I know it has nothing to do with that it's like work on yourself and the way like you said Brad the way you express yourself in the world how you show up in the world when the world is happening you know and life happens oh man it does um like how you present in that moment are you showing up with love and compassion you know or are you showing up with all of your Ugh, and your baggage and you're overthinking and you know I'm just thinking of my own my own garbage <laughs> you yeah. know yeah yeah and I, I think like the thing that like transcends the notion of like ideology because I think if we stick to ideology it does get mucky and that some people will always push against it and there's a lot of people who are on the other side of like the scientific aisle who will like adamantly oppose and like yo actually we have to like really lean into this I think the thing that like works best at least in my own thing is like i'm always trying to make things contemporary but also respect the the rich tradition that it comes from in that like the love and compassion is the transformative spark that is the thing that like maharaji is transforming through you know it's like that is the meme that is i guess the the positive virus if you will um maybe i shouldn't like use that term with uh, everything happening in the world but if you're able to take these ideologies and then I, I like to go in whatever container and like kind of morph to how everybody else is doing, but with loving compassion so that I can meet people with where they are, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it really does for me take like my own personal practices. Like I love studying the rich traditions of things, you know, and I, I, I'm really glad that you're talking about preserving the way that it is, because I think it really is like where we draw the wellspring of how we then take it into these more adaptable ways, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like you have to kind of know the song before you start riffing on it, you know, but I think like once you've equipped yourself with the ability to remember the music, like that riffing is really the, how we push the envelope forward you know, and then bring this into like the new century, the new age, you know, and that's kind of like what's kind of a benefit of like when a teacher passes, you know, is that like now like there's this kind of liminal space where we can kind of like, we we can like remake the bread, you know, that's what David Nicktern says Mm -hmm. is like the transmission is like grandma's bread, like every generation make, you have to make the bread different every time, you know, because you are different. You know, and it's like we're being asked to like walk this tightrope of like respecting, but then also like pushing forward and like trusting ourselves and our our own creative demiurge, because like that is kind of the thing that that is Maharaji, that is Ramdas, that is that the cutting edge of where we are. It's that current moment, how it manifests. You know, yeah. And it's just interesting to like try and learn how to trust yourself, and like that is a probably a big part of like the bhakti thing too is like coming home to yourself so that you you can trust that like that love and compassion is self-fulfilling prophecy you know yeah um i really like how you said that and it, that feels like like what you're 
what you're chewing on right there is what we've been chewing on too. Not to like mama bird it back and forth, um, but uh, gross. <laughs> um, but just the essence of being able to like hold a lineage, but then also like our one side is Ram. So before we started working for um, Love Server Member, we were doing this blog called the Sloppy Bhakti, which was this merging point between music festivals and um, spirituality, and. Through that, we wanted to be able to preserve lineage, like you were saying, but also be able to cultivate and maintain the sporadic, total wildness of a music festival and music festival culture and meme culture and just the hilarity craziness that is whatever weird peak that society is going through right now in um, this kind of strange digital psychedelic age. Um, so I wanted to be able to like, write truly from the heart about Hanuman and be able to portray Hanuman in a legitimate way that holds true to the Ramayana while still making just shit posts um, of just hilarious <laughs> memes that are making fun of the same thing I'm also portraying. So being yeah. able to like hold that edge and like try not to piss off too many old satsang while also keeping that divine cosmic giggle of everything has been like a really interesting kind of dance to play, but it's the only dance I want to do. Yeah. Are you still keeping up with Sloppy Bhakti? I'm writing so much for Love Serve Remember right now that yeah. my blogs that I was writing for Sloppy Bhakti, if you go to uh, Be Here Now Network's Awakened Heart blog, most of those lately have been mine. So if you just type in Ganesh Das um, on, the, on the website, they'll probably pop up. Wonderful. Is that the name you're going by now? I'm sorry, I haven't. Yeah. I'm so scattered. Our, Ganesh Das. Our, the, the guru that we met in India that has since gotten canceled. Um, he, he, he gave us our names. Um, it feels like the names truly came from, um, from the divine, from ourselves. There's so many weird little Leelas and stories that play into it, and so many people know us by those names that we just yeah. kind of kept them. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, interesting. Ganesh Das, servant of Ganesh. Ganesh. Well, it's a pleasure to kind of re-meet you. I uh, missed the ball on that one, so sorry. Um, yeah, I really liked the Sloppy Bhakti platform, um, and I'm glad that it's kind of starting to morph into what you're doing with Love, Serve, Remember, because I really do think that, like, and music festivals have came up a few times on this show, and I think they do provide a really wonderful opportunity in that you see sometimes, like, the depths of depravity of humanity, but then some of, like, the most exhilarating highs and, like, beautiful vistas, and it really is, like, everything all at once so i'm always an advocate of people entering these spaces with that sense of like good orderly direction and like love and compassion because there's so many people who i mean that's where i found a lot of my spirituality you know was through interacting with these spaces and i almost feel like when things open up i don't know about y'all but like i feel like i i should be like a servant for a couple years to go into these places and to bring my own unique flavor because i know that it will speak to people who might not be as plugged in, you know, and I, I, I do feel a sense of like responsibility and like uh, guardianship, you know, because it's really through interacting with folks such as yourselves and other unique individuals that have really gotten me like on the, the right path, you know, do you, do you plan on reinteracting with these spaces when they open up? Oh yeah. It's oh yeah. All I can think about yeah. lately. <laughs> oh nice. yeah. Wonderful. Definitely. It's been, you know, the pandemic, it's been awful, you know, to be completely honest, yeah. you know, it's been awful. And a lot of people have dealt with more suffering than I think they knew they could deal with. And that, and that's sad. Um, but 
you know, there are silver linings. And I think it's important to, you know, uh, keep our attention on the silver linings because it's not all doom and gloom. Um, mm-hmm. And one of those big su- silver linings for me was the where we happened to be technologically with um, voice conferencing and video chats. You know, uh, Zoom was just hitting off and then the pandemic hit and now everyone uses this platform, you know. So we're all able to connect and stay connected. And when when the world closed down back in March 2020, um, Love Server Member Foundation, we had to change directions real quick because at, at the time I was working on the release of Ram Dass's film, Becoming Nobody. If you haven't watched it, please check it out. It's awesome. Becomingnobody.com. Um, yeah. But I was working on the launch of that of that movie, and we were about to um, have it premiere across Australia. We had mm-hmm. a full uh, summer of like releases and premieres planned. Most of the theaters had sold out within the first few nights of ticketing being on sale, and then everything shut down. And I don't even I don't know if if those theaters have even reopened yet. Um, but so, so everything changed, you know, everything was in person. We had an in-person retreat plan. We had all of this in-person stuff plan. We had to shift really quickly. And, um, that's where like the zoom came in and the, you know, live streaming. And I, my job switched over a lot to live streaming. So I, I helped run the back end for all the love server member live streams now. And, um, in this, we've been able to connect with Satsang in a way that we never could before. So before there were limitations, like who can actually travel to where the retreat's being hosted? You know, only a few hundred people can actually attend because of capacity and all the other limitations that go along with hosting something like that. You know, we can only connect with so many in such a way, but now everyone is online. Everyone is talking on videos. All the concerts that I'm attending are, you know, coming through on Twitch or something, you know? So now we're able, like on Monday, we had that, um, that fellowship, Ramdas fellowship live stream with David Nickturn. And we had nearly 800 people live with us in any one moment. There were, we were all together and the comments were so beautiful and everyone was having these amazing conversations and opening up. And there was these great questions that were pouring in that we were sharing with David and everyone was able to feel connected in a way that before we were limited by our ability to travel or by our financial ability to go there or be there, you know, and now we can come together in this way that I never imagined. And, you know, we never would have started the music series without it. And through the music series, we're establishing all these new connections and that we're getting Ramdas to these new audiences that never could have been connected had it not been for this difficult pandemic experience, you know? So although we're going through this major shift I feel like it's creating very, very fertile soil for us to be able to plant these seeds, water them, tend to the soil, allow them time and space so that they can start to grow. Because I, mm. I have a feeling that once this, you know, on the other side of this, of this pandemic, you know, it's, we're going to have the most fertile soil to grow. Yeah. Yeah. I second pretty much everything you just said. I uh, I don't know. I don't think I said this, but I actually took David's uh, meditation teacher training, and that was something that I've been wanting to do for quite a while now. I've been part of his platform for a couple of years, and 
I would have never had that opportunity had it not gone virtual, you know, and then I had him on the podcast and now I'm like interacting with people that I've been plugged into for years. And now like I have a bunch of people on my roster here that like I would have never been able to connect with had it not been for this very specific set of circumstances. And uh, when we talk about like the next Buddha is going to be a Sangha, I think that this may have been like an instrumental aspect of that, of like really bringing people together. And now we're seeing a lot of like, auspicious connections of people that are like the families all coming home you know and i wish that it were for better reasons safer reasons but you know i think what this is going to ultimately do for the spiritual uh community here in america is going to be really powerful you know i I really think it it's kind of like the avengers coming together a little bit (laughs) you know yeah it um it reminds me a little about like what happened with tibet you know tibet was probably and is still um what what i i view as like the biggest wellspring of um wisdom on reality that we have on planet earth and it was Mm -hmm. pretty much condensed you know just to the you know the, the peaks of the mountains there in tibet and then when everything went down and China started invading, that horrible disaster to Tibet actually made the Dharma spread to the rest of the world. So in essence, mm-hmm. like that disaster ended up being this like beautiful thing to like share with the world. And I, I feel that it's just a very similar to kind of what you were talking about with COVID and what we're able to do all together now in um, being able to discuss these wisdom teachings on such like frequent and deep levels on a regular basis. Well, thank you, Internet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. for connecting us yeah. all in this way that we never, you know, we're connected with current events instantly across yeah. the world, all the good and yeah. all of the bad, mm-hmm. you know, right. and it's, it can be a lot to hold. And at the same time, and we're also connected to all of history, all of these teachings. This has never been in human history. Have we ever had at the click of a button to be able to like access the teachings of Christ and Buddha at the same time. And like, you know, it's, it really is a very auspicious and fertile time for like human development and spiritual development. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that like, we're having this conversation, you're in California and I'm here in Michigan. And, you know, it's, it it really is like, there's really no excuse if you want to get plugged in at this point. Like there's so many opportunities and teachers out there that you can connect with directly, you know, and that's definitely what I want to point people to is like, it's out there. You just have to, it's a Google search away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Orient your attention to that, which serves your highest development. You know, like it's that. very easy to orient our attention to that, which ticks our buttons or, you know, push, pushes our buttons or makes us feel very energetically emotive toward a certain way. But we have the, we have the ability with this incredible wellspring of technology and accessibility, you know, to really be able to orient ourselves to service, to service mm-hmm. for our own highest good and therefore for the highest good of humanity as a whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I could not have said that any better. Yeah, I we're kind of coming up on an hour and I really wanted to get into Hanuman because <laughs> I, I, like I've said, I've been studying under David and I'm kind of doing the Tibetan Buddhist thing for a little bit. I'm really, really vibing with how contemporary it is, but like I cannot deny that monkey God in my heart that is just like always just like, Hey, yeah, but remember, like, you know, this is something like for the folks who don't know anything about Hanuman, how would you best describe him and his role in, I guess, the Ramayana, but just like Hindu theology in general? Mm -hmm. Um, So just to preface, I'm I'm sure most people listening to this podcast know probably a little bit about like Hinduism, at least Eastern philosophy. Um, 
Hinduism is weird. There are some <laughs> weird fucking deities romping around. There's like infinite numbers of them. They're all doing all these weird things. They're cutting off each other's heads, putting other heads on. So trying to figure out Hinduism for me is a moot point. Not going to happen. But again, like I was saying earlier, I can say what Hinduism and thereby Hanuman kind of means to me. I don't consider myself a Hindu. I don't really consider myself in anything. I guess a sloppy bhakti. Um, <laughs> emphasis on the sloppy, and then I become a sloppy Buddhist, and I become a sloppy whatever I'm yeah. practicing at the moment. Um, but Hanuman, to me, represents very much in like what you see of him, um, you see this big monkey man. And you know that a monkey who is out of control is going to be flinging poo, is going to be causing a lot of ruckus. Um, what Hanuman represents is this kind of cross-section of this, the animal parts of us and the monkey mind that's constantly kind of like going, oh, I got to do this, oh, I got to do this, I'm stressed about this, I'm stressed about that, because that is within us. But then when that monkey mind is actually trained, when you are focused on that mantra, when you're focused on the service, when you're instead of focused on all the things that I need from me, focus just in the presence and the love that's around you, you go from being this thing that's kind of this spurty, I'm going to go everywhere, to being this very focused, very in control, very um, in flow, in love being. And to me, that's what Hanuman represents, is the ability to overcome that monkey mind with a loving presence. And through that loving presence, a service is offered. Or in the words of Hanumanji... He said uh, to Ram, uh, the god figure that he he bows to, uh, he said, Ram, when I forget who I am, I serve you. When I remember who I am, I am you. Mm-hmm. So when you forget who you are, you serve. You know, and through that, you'll remember that you are one with God, one with those that you are serving, one with everything. Wow. Yeah, that was actually a quote that I wanted to touch up on too. I think one of my favorite things about his stories is that he often forgets that he's like one of the most powerful beings in the pantheon yeah. until someone reminds him. Yeah. Like he needs that kind of, he needs to constantly be like reminded. And I think that that kind of speaks volumes to like our human experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are inextricably powerful, but sometimes whether it be by grace or through devotion, you know, we need that constant reminder of like, you are not that small self, you know, mm-hmm. you are all of everything that are thou, you know, yeah. and uh, that's something that I've always, I've always kind of carried with me, you know, yeah. or at least tried to carry with me. Definitely. I forget. <laughs> well, the cover of Be Here Now, if you look at it, it says, remember, 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 remember. Yeah. That's the yeah. hardest part is you yeah. just got to remember. So like to bring it back to bhakti um, and the practice of chanting, uh, chanting a mantra. So like for me, I like the mantra of Ram. Ram, it's just simple, one syllable. You can feel it in the depths of your chest, vibrating. Um, if you're thinking a thought, you just come back to Ram. If you start spiraling up, you just come back to Ram, you know? Or, for example, you could chant Hare Krishna. And for me, Hare Krishna, I usually uh, think of that along with a melody, uh, mm-hmm. like a song. So, you know, when you get a song stuck in your head and it's so sticky and you can't get it out and you're like, oh my God, this song is stuck in my head all day. Get a mantra stuck in your head. Get get a month <laughs> like find a kirtan that you like. Get that mantra. Get that stuck in your head because that's going to be actually healing you at the same time. So it's like 
you're not just to bring it back to what you were saying in the beginning. We're not just, um, you know, in these moments where connecting it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like a main thing that I want to bring up too, especially, um, because of how most people and how I saw Eastern spirituality for the longest time is that this does not have to be a renunciate path. Yes, you want some tapasya. Yes, you want some fire. You want something that's going to challenge you so you see inside of you the kind of nuances and predilections and the things that are going to pull you. But even in the story of Hanuman, you know, in, in the Ramayana, his main thing is to Sita, Ram's wife, you know, Ram and Sita represent, you know, the male and the female characteristics of God. Sita has been stolen by Ravana, this evil demon who's, you know, representing, he's got 10 heads. He's like the ego going back and forth on everything. And he just wants Sita all for himself. So Ram sends Hanuman, his perfect servant, to go um, find Sita, make sure she's cool, give her this ring, be like, yo, Ram's coming for you, don't you worry. Um, so when, she, when he gets to Lanka, he gets to Sita, he gives her the ring. He's like, don't you worry, baby, Ram's coming. And <laughs> at this point, he's like, okay, I got to get back to Ram, let, her know, let, let him know that Sita's cool. And on his way out from Lanka, he sees these trees. And there's these beautiful, beautiful fruits on these trees. And he's like, I did my mission, I found Sita. Those look pretty delicious. So he's like, Sita, can I have, <laughs> could you think I can have some of those oranges? Do you think that'll cause a ruckus? And knowing that if he goes and gets these oranges, it's going to cause this like huge thing because everybody in Lanka is going to be like, Hanuman's taking oranges. Um, and a bunch of shit ensues, but he still goes and eats the oranges. You know, he eats the fruit. He enjoys himself while he is on this mission. Um, so it doesn't matter what you're doing. You don't have to stop drinking. If you, if you don't want, if you don't want to stop eating meat, don't stop eating meat. Let that fall away naturally. But whatever you're doing, just remember that divinity, remember that presence. And that's why for me, um, bhakti is so much about that mantra because it reminds you to come back to that love. So I'm drinking a beer, I'm singing my mantra. I'm going Ram, Ram, Ram while drinking a beer. If I'm not drinking a beer, I'm you know sitting there not drinking a beer saying Ram, 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 Ram. You know, bring that awareness into whatever you're doing rather than judgment. And then wherever you're supposed to be will come through naturally over time. Mm, I like that. I feel like some people might hear that and view it as a means of like, pacification where it's kind of like oh they're just gonna like act in bad ways and then kind of like a lot of people have that view of like people who like go confess their sins and then go like trick people out of money and stuff but i feel like this is kind of a different energetic thing you know it's you know acknowledging the foibles but also it, it still is orienting you towards growth and like putting you on a path of actual absolution if you will like could you speak to that a little bit yeah um there's this ramdas bit that he does where ramdas really really likes root beer and he's, he, he's, he talks about the witness. Um, he talks about the witness um, quite a bit where you're just watching yourself doing what you're doing. You want to imbibe watching yourself. You watch your thoughts. You watch how, you're, how you react to whatever stimuli. So he's like, you know, I go to the, Brit, I go to the fridge, I grab a root beer, and then all of a sudden, as I'm drinking the root beer, this thing would pop into my head, drinking root beer. And now I'm watching myself drinking root beer, and I'm watching my thoughts around that. And maybe you start reprimanding yourself. You're like, oh, I shouldn't be drinking root beer again. You know, this is sugar. I'm going to be up all night at this hour with these 30 milligrams of caffeine in this roots. Ugh. And all of a sudden, another thought pops into your head and you notice, oh, reprimanding myself about drinking root beer. The game isn't ever about what you're doing. Things are constantly going to flow into your life and you're constantly going to be doing 
whatever that is. And you're going to have to ebb and flow with whatever the situation brings. Um, the th one constant that you can have is that awareness and that presence. And that presence allows you to have the space to be able to start choosing your reaction more and more the deeper you get in your practice. So, like, I do feel that, yeah, maybe my kind of view on, hey, do what you want, um, may give people a kind of feeling that, oh, you know, he's, you know, you know, it's a spiritual bypass, you know, they're, they're just allowing themselves to do whatever they want. But to me, the times that I've tried to like quit anything or stop anything, it feels like this weird kind of forced thing. And I end up rubber banding back the other way so hard because I'm not allowing my internal feelings and what I feel is right for myself to flow through. And the times that I've been able to bring that spaciousness and that mantra to the things that I may have been judging myself about before, those things start dropping away because I'm with them with awareness instead of trying to either push or pull from them at all times. That's lovely. Yeah, I actually recently went through the same thing with cannabis. I've been a lifelong user and kind of like always struggled with it. You know, I'd smoke either way too much or just not at all. And it was really until I started bringing that like spatial element that like when you like, like you said about like pushing and pulling things it gets really sticky mm -hmm. and then it creates more and more tension and much more like an energetic charge to that thing that kind of draws you to it you know yeah. like whatever you cast away is going to draw you you know so like by allowing yourself the spaciousness to both do the thing but also watch yourself doing the thing mm -hmm. it naturally i think it was ramdas that said like things will fall away like leaves fall off the tree in the fall you know it's like you don't want to like yank the leaves down you know it's just they they will fall away when they're ready to you know and i think that 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 compassion that grace that spaciousness that is the work you know it's like finding the patience to be present with how you are in this moment you know and it's like loving yourself regardless and that's how you love the world regardless you know mm -hmm. it's this work is directly correlated to how you show up into the world you know you got to start with yourself and that's yeah. what we're direly lacking yes yeah. yeah. oh. so I do know that y'all have uh, other time obligations, so thank you so much. I feel like we like just started to get into the meat of this. We could have gone for so long. So, um, yeah, where can folks find you? How can they uh, keep in touch with all the work that you're doing? Uh, Rambas.org. <laughs> yeah. Rambas.org. Um, we're doing a ton of live stream events. Uh, Rambas.org slash events. There's an events calendar. You can keep up with all of the different free offerings that we have going on. I'd love for everyone to come and join us. Uh, we've, we're doing the Soul Land Music Series right now got a fantastic uh, lineup of artists that are all going to be presenting um, these wonderful, wonderful offerings. Um, if you're into Anthony Fogmartin, who was on Brett's last podcast, uh, Earth Cry did perform on the Soul Land Music Series. Him and Random Rab kicked it off for us this year. So I encourage everyone to go and check those out. Um, you know, and you can stay in touch, info at romdos.org if you ever want to reach out to us in our community. Um, we're just, I'm just honored to have the opportunity to, you know, serve in this way. Mm. I'm honored to have you guys on as representatives, I guess, if you will. So thank you guys so much again. Much, much love. I, I feel a strong sense of kinship with you. And I hope that uh, the next two years treat you well. And hopefully it doesn't take us two years to reconnect. Yeah, yeah this awesome. has been absolutely great. I've loved this conversation. Um, and I wish you the best of luck with your podcast. You're a great fucking host. Um, keep this up. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, um, I guess this is maybe a spoiler for things to come, but I'm going to be doing a Patreon thing where I do bonus episodes. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have, they're going to be called like homie casts. Cool. They're going to be like kind of more free form. I had like a little schedule that I was kind of working off of, but I would love to have you guys on again because I feel like I, I don't have a lot of friends who are into like the Bhakti stuff and the Hanuman stories. And yeah, I would definitely love to reconnect and do some bonus stuff with you. So yeah. that sounds great. Yeah. Dive into it. Wonderful. I love it. Yeah. Wonderful. Awesome. Be well, guys. 
All right, my friends, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way through till the end. You made it through the 10 minutes of glitchiness. You get a prize of information, knowledge, uh, wisdom. That's what you get. Yeah, sorry, it might be a cop-out. No no shiny badge at the end of this episode. Maybe a future episode. We'll hand out some badges, but not this one. Not today. Not in my budget. Uh, if you would like to stay in touch with all of the happenings of the show, I definitely suggest subscribing over at YouTube. That's the most immediate. As soon as I upload an episode, you get the little bell and then you get the episode. Facebook, Instagram, algorithms are the name of the game. And I personally, I, I'm digging my heels. I don't want to play with no algorithms. I know I should as somebody who is putting content out there. But dang, I don't want to... I don't want to bow down to the robot overlords just yet. You know, I'm not really ready for that kind of commitment. I'm not ready to play the game by their rules. You know, I'm going to allow synchronicity to lead folks to my platform, which is the dying words of someone who doesn't have a very large platform. (laughs) Anyway, that was uh, Mangala and Ganesh Das. If you want to stay in touch with them, uh, head on over to the Sloppy Bhakti uh, Instagram page. I think they got a Facebook, the website, the Sloppy Bhakti. Or you could just follow the Love Server Member Foundation on all those things as well, because you're likely seeing their content. The Soul Land music series is in full swing. I think you can look back at the old recording, old, uh, the couple days old recording of Earth Cry and Random Rab. Uh, really great. Um, if you're unfamiliar with Earthcry, he was my last episode, um, and the talk that he gave there is really awesome as well. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening all the way through and listening to me ramble. I really appreciate you. And uh, keep an eye out for next episode, Wednesday at 11 a.m. I got someone very special and dear to my heart coming on. So, all right, everybody, have a great week. Goodbye, Steve. You're doing awesome.